On this podcast, I often discuss the relationship that we, as the living, have with the dead. Cemeteries play a vital role in this, as for many people, it's the only interaction that they regularly have with the dead. Cemeteries are visible everywhere in our landscape. People can immediately recognize them. They're featured in movies, in television. But do we really consider the role that they have played throughout history? And more importantly, once people are buried, do they stay there? I'm Liz Clappen, and this is Tomb of the View. I want to give a brief introduction. It has been quite some time since I have done an episode where I do an interview. And the episode that I'm sharing today is actually one where, for the most part, I was the interviewee. If you are a longtime listener or if you follow along on social media, you know that I have a very good relationship with a fellow Atlanta podcaster by the name of Victoria Lemos. She runs a history podcast about the history of Atlanta, the people that live there, different buildings, different areas, neighborhoods called Archive Atlanta. And Victoria is incredibly impressive. Uh, She is 100% an amateur. Uh, This is not what she does for her day job, but she is a very talented, very dedicated researcher. And I am extremely jealous because she is so concise and every episode is really clean and really compact, but yet she gets an incredible amount of information across. So we have been talking about doing a collaborative episode since I met Victoria. And she actually came up to me We were at an event here in Atlanta where the former State Historic Preservation Officer was talking about ranch houses. And I almost didn't go that night. And I'm very glad that I did because uh, I have very much valued her friendship. And it's nice to have in the podcasting game somebody that you can just discuss your frustrations and your questions share what you want to do, what you wish you could do, uh, all of those things. It's very beneficial because I didn't know anybody that podcasted when Ashley and I started this. But Victoria came up to me after the presentation and told me she recognized my voice from my podcast, which made me feel like I was a member of the Beatles, which was pretty exciting uh, because it was the first time that I had had that kind of recognition. I had only been doing it about two months and things were still a little rough in terms of the quality of production and just getting all my ducks in a row. So it was really, really exciting. Then pandemic happened and for various reasons, Victoria and I just have not been able to make this happen. So when she came up with a really wonderful topic... And one that I had certainly considered and I've seen sort of mentions of, I was very excited to dive into it. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of background before I jump right into it. But this is our shared episode this week. So if you are an Archive Atlanta listener as well, you're going to be hearing at least a portion of this. Um, She may have edited some of it out, but I've given you the whole thing, the full unedited version. So without further ado... We're going to talk about body snatching. This is Archive Atlanta, episode 101, Grave Robbing with Liz Clappin. Hey guys, happy Friday. I am here with a really special interview with a fellow Atlanta 
podcaster and one of the smartest people that I know and I love listening to. So she has her own podcast, um, but I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell you about that. Hi guys, uh, I am Liz Clappen and I do a podcast here in Atlanta as well. It's called Tomb with a View. Uh, unlike Victoria, I don't just talk about Atlanta. I do talk about all things having to do with cemeteries. And what I love, so I think we both share the sentiment that people talk about cemeteries and graves in a non-academic way, to put it nicely. Uh, and Halloween is coming, so I think we we want to do something fun, but also, for me, as a person that likes cemeteries but doesn't know a lot about them, what I love about what Liz does is I learn the academics of it, and I'm able to learn about, yeah, I'm listening to a cemetery podcast, but I'm learning a million other things. I mean, all the episodes. Like, I'm learning about you know, with the dam projects and the, I, you know, I learned about graveyard railroads and I come out of there be, like being like, I feel so much smarter right now. Well, and I think that the way I've always approached cemeteries is the fact that they are one of the few elements that hopefully doesn't change. And often we can find so much about other parts of society from them because they stay there, uh, hopefully, not always. Uh, but also, I've always come at it from, uh, even around Halloween time, that hopefully you will agree with this once you listen to this episode, the real stories are way more fun than the made up horror stories, yes. because everything that we're gonna talk about today actually happened. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that in modern society we don't always think about because we are so distanced from death today. This is a great point. And so we picked grave robbing or body snatching, or we'll talk about the synonyms in, in a second, but um, understanding, you know, people, I think horror movies or plots are based on this, but this was a real thing. So we're going to cover the history of it, why people did this. And then I have found a few incidents of local body snatchings that happened uh, in Atlanta and in Decatur. And so we're going to cover all of that today. Uh, but I'm going to lean on Liz here to talk about a lot of the history that I find so fascinating. And so what I want to ask first is where does this grave robbing thing come from? You know, world, is it a worldwide thing? Like where did it first start? So it's interesting. This is something that is sort of a uniquely Anglo-Saxon thing. Um, often in other parts, particularly of Europe, and I say Europe because obviously in the United States, we are largely a European-based society. You know, Central Europe, um, many parts of Europe had a pretty progressive view of the body, and you can see this going back to the Renaissance. If you think, see things like the Vitruvian Man, the drawings of anatomy, you can certainly see it. Yes, you, you know what I'm talking I just, about. I just splayed my arms <laughs> out. But even if you look at uh, sort of the Northern Renaissance paintings, um, there are famously lots of paintings from the Renaissance of anatomy lessons. But for some reason, uh, particularly England, tends to be a little bit more puritanical about it. And so their attitudes about the body being sacred and the body being incorruptible really don't translate after death. But it starts; they start to see very quickly that to be a legitimate medical college, you need to have anatomy lessons. And there was even like this big battle between physicians versus surgeons. Physicians were seen as 
gentlemen. They were the ones that took care of the elites. Whereas surgeons, those were the butchers. Those are the ones that did your amputations. Really? And so it was looked down upon? Very much so. That's so interesting. And this is something that, you know, it's not even, you know, we're talking into the 19th century that this is the main attitude. So studying the dead for the purposes of pathology, to understand the origins of disease, to understand how to do proper surgeries by looking at actual physical remains, it's really controversial. So unfortunately, it's hard to get bodies. So hence body snatching. <laughs> so you're so you're saying people are stealing bodies to perform anatomy, uh, to perform dissections yes okay yeah so generally there's two purposes first of all you learn how to do surgeries by doing them on dead people first so you learn on dead anatomy but also just to understand the makeup and the physical build of the body okay how things work how things are in relation to each other all those things and so we were talking the earliest stories in america you were saying New York had riots around this? Yeah, so you have, going back to the colonial period, you have this happen. Um, There was actually a club at Harvard called the Spunker Club, um, which in the 1770s, you can see them um, body snatching. Uh, During the Revolutionary War, um, George Washington actually spoke on it, saying that the Hessian and British soldiers were fair game for dissection, um, but to leave the Patriots alone. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Um, And then in 1788, there was actually a riot in New York City where students had obtained the body of a white woman from Trinity Church, which Trinity Church is very famous. Um, Isn't that where Hamilton is buried? uh, I I think. I I actually don't know. (laughs) All my history's melting. I actually don't know. No, but Trinity Church is probably, it's right near Wall Street. Um, It's very famous because during 9-11, it was in like a lot of the videos and things like that. Um, But the Trinity Churchyard was like the elite churchyard in Manhattan. So they had taken a white woman's body from Trinity, whereas normally they obtained their dead in other places. And so the rioting started, they went into the basement of the anatomy college, took all of the cadavers out and burned them in the streets. And something like 20 people were killed. Oh my God. So you're saying regular lay people got so upset about yes. this white woman's body being taken. That yeah. They broke into the college and burned the cadavers. Yes. Okay. Um, it was seen as, you have to understand that the way that the body is perceived has really changed over time. We, I think a lot of people are at least basically familiar with like Victorian mourning culture. And there was this very, very elaborate, you know, if your husband died versus your child versus your parent, like there was a prescribed period of mourning. There were certain things that you could do. There was a real fascination with the body and the decay of the body that was very tied into the religious beliefs of the time. Um... So probably the best example I can think of is Ralph Waldo Emerson when his, he's the famous American transcendentalist, when his wife dies, he talks about how a year later he goes and he opens up her coffin to see the progression of decay. There was this real fascination about like returning to nature and the somewhat grisly decomposition of the body. But people kept things like hair, they kept mementos, they made jewelry out of hair. There is a fascination with the body where the body is seen as very sacred. Okay. And so oh, I see what you're saying. defiling it in any way is really not okay. And so that's the reason that there's so much violence around this. Wow. 
So now Georgia, we were talking about Augusta being the scene of some of the earliest. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, So here in Atlanta, unfortunately, the medical college history starts a little bit later. Um, We do have two medical colleges here in Georgia, but they don't start until obviously later because Atlanta doesn't have its, its origins till the 1850s. But in Augusta, um, so the Georgia Medical College is going to be one of the first. It's founded in 1829. And this is really when we see like the height of the debate. And uh, they come up with a very interesting solution for body snatching. So just picture this. So some medical schools, however, may, and the best example I found of this was Baltimore. So Baltimore had six medical schools, about 1,200 students. And the amount of legally obtained bodies that you could get was something like 34 a year. Wow. So there was a couple of ways you could legally obtain bodies. Executed criminals. This is Baltimore or generally? This is everywhere. Okay. So you could get bodies of executed criminals. You could often get unclaimed indigent dead. Um, so people who were poor, people who died in places like that, and often um, people who died in places like mental asylums and things like that, or prisons. But that doesn't account for a lot of bodies, especially when the population is still small. And this is exactly what Augusta starts to suffer. Now, they're much smaller than Baltimore. They don't have six medical schools. But even one medical school, if you have 20 or 30 students, are they all going to share one body? Yeah, it's like, who gets to do the heart? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, that, and you're fighting against decomposition, too. Oh, there's no embalming. So embalming doesn't come into its own until really the Civil War. So you don't have embalming at this point. Um, Most often you're preserving them in alcohol. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is apocryphal, but just a fun fact that they did used to store the bodies in barrels of whiskey, cheap whiskey. (laughs) And they say that that's where the expression rot gut whiskey comes from. Really? Also, the idea of that after you took the body out, you would sell that whiskey. Uh, and that's where the term stiff drink comes from. Really? That's fascinating. Like I said, I don't know if that's true or if that's just <laughs> apocryphal. It's a good story, though. It is a good story. All right. So anyways, back to Augusta. I went off on a tangent. Um, but Augusta really comes up with a very interesting solution. And it's one that you see a lot, but not in this sense. The Medical College of Georgia actually purchased a slave named Grandison Harris specifically for the purpose of grave robbing. He was supposed to do the actual digging of the graves. So he did everything. So he acquired the bodies, he preserved them, he laid them out, and then after the dissections were done, he got rid of whatever was left over. He was purchased by the medical college for $700 from Charleston. And then eventually, to keep him happy, they also purchased his wife and child and brought them to Augusta as well. Wow. And you said they let him sleep? He slept at the cemetery? Yes. So he he had a spot right there at the cemetery. And essentially, I think that the idea was is that he would eventually learn which were the graves that you could rob. And it's important to remember that the majority of bodies that are acquired, and this is not something that just happens here in the United States, They are overwhelmingly poor. They are overwhelmingly people of color. And it varies depending on where you are. Here in the South, obviously, it's going to be black. Um, It's estimated, and they did find the remains of many of the bodies who were used by the medical college. Because Wait, you told me this. What year? In 1991. 1991. (laughs) They did some renovations. 
And they found out he was burying the remains in the basement. Um, and he was covering up with them up with salt pepper to cover up the smell. Um, and they found that the remains were essentially 80% black, mostly black men. Wow. Now, in other places, um, so for example, out west, you tend to see that it is more Chinese immigrants, okay, for example. Um, it, it depends on what part of the country you're in. Um, but these are the people who didn't have anyone to advocate for them. They were often people who were buried in potter's fields. They were very poor. They didn't have markers. Um, many of them probably didn't even have coffins. They may have just been buried in shrouds. So it makes them very expendable. But there's also the argument that, you know, their bodies are doing something positive. And that's eventually what starts to change the attitudes about grave robbing. This is really interesting. So he stole... So this guy, at least in Augusta, his job was to steal the bodies. Yes. Did other cities do this or other places have specific people? I mean, so when I was researching Atlanta, I saw that, I, from what I've gathered, there were people who did this. Like they moonlighted as grave robbers and medical students would pay them to do it as opposed to them doing it themselves. Absolutely. Um, so these people, they have a lot of different names. Um, one of the terms I come across most often is resurrection men. I like that one. <laughs> um, or resurrectionists. Um, but, you know, some people call them ghouls. Yeah. They, they have a lot of different names. And often these are people who, they have a number of different jobs. Um, I read an account in New York City where a lot of times they were cart drivers. So they already owned a cart. Oh. So they could easily transport remains. Um, they may have been... You know, people who didn't have a lot of other options. Of course, probably the most famous people in the world of body snatching are the two famous Irish immigrants, Burke and Hare, uh, who sort of terrorized Edinburgh, Scotland in the 1820s. Um, Burke, of course, was eventually executed. And in one of the great ironies of body snatching, after he was executed, his body went to the medical college <laughs> and his skeleton is still on display at the University of Edinburgh today. Really? I, Atlanta has a sort of a similar ironic story. But this brings me to the question, when, so we talked about this earlier, but not on, not on tape. How did they do this? Because my question was, wow, who is digging six feet into the ground? You know, how are they prying these caskets open? But you've taught me that nobody's buried six feet under the ground. <laughs> Very uncommon. Um, so there are certain places that are far more attractive for body snatching. Uh, I already brought up Baltimore. Baltimore was definitely the body snatching capital of the United States um, because the more temperate the climate, the more time out of the year that you can dig it up. That makes sense. Um, Baltimore was also attractive because the B&O Railroad is the Baltimore and Ohio is one of the earlier railroads and so they are shipping bodies and there are records of this as far west as st louis and as far south as atlanta so okay so this ties in in my local research um i learned that it was a lot of colleges got bodies from other states to sort of avoid prosecution so they had bodies available here but they would buy them from a neighboring state and they would just sort of swap to prevent themselves from getting in trouble, I guess. But my my yeah. train story mm -hmm. cracked me up. There was someone basically in Chattanooga trying to ship bodies, and they would ship them freight, label them like rice or grain or something, and then just they happened to weigh like 170 pounds, yeah. <laughs> the weight of an adult met dead male. Um, and there was a 
there was, gosh, I got to find the guy now, but he, he was shipping it to Dr. Pemberton, who, if I don't know if you know the name, sounds familiar, where he invented the Coca-Cola formula. formula. Um, he actually ended up selling it to Candler and the other investors, but that, but you know, he was a, he was a pharmacist. So, so, so you're telling me Coca-Cola is really soil and green. You it's ne- people. <laughs> you never know. But I mean, that struck with me where I was like, okay, so Dr. Pemberton's receiving bodies and it just got into a story of how the the, the freight train um, you know, operator basically caught this because they all weighed 180 pounds and the description kept changing. So, <laughs> the, you know, he tried to label it fish and he's like, yeah, I don't think this is fish. Anyway. That's a big fish. That's, but that's really interesting. So, so temperature of, of the climate because soil. And, and also train. a lot of it has to do too with soil composition because depending on... If you have very acidic soil, for example, it's going to actually break down bodies faster. Now, granted, all of these bodies are being dug up very, very quickly. Okay. Um, but I have seen accounts where, you know, they'll dig up one grave that's fresh and the grave next to it is six months old and the person next to them will definitely be de- too decomposed to use for a dissection, but you can use the skeleton. Oh, so they would dig up for skeletons as well. Certainly. Um, and, and skeletons, if you ever need to... It, my undergraduate degree is in anthropology, so I can remember we had a real human skeleton in our anthropology collection um, for study. You can tell that, especially with the older ones, it's very clear to see what kind of lifestyle these people lead. Almost always you can see the signs of arthritis on their body. You can tell by their height that they tend to have bad nutrition. All of those, it's very easy oh, to see the type of lives that people lived, even from their bones. That is so interesting. But yeah, no, what they would do is essentially, Victoria mentioned this, but people are very seldom buried six feet down. Generally, it's about three and a half feet. Even today for green burials, that's about the depth for most burials is three and a half feet. They are going to dig up the head of the coffin, break through the top, and generally they would put either a rope or a hook of some kind around the neck or underneath the arms, depending on how far they had dug in and the size of the person, and haul them right out. Um, The other big thing is you don't want to be caught with a body in grave clothes. So either a shroud or whatever they were buried in because it makes them identifiable. And it's very clear that you pulled them out of a grave as opposed to saying, hey, we just found this naked dead man in a gutter. (laughs) This is so bizarre. Which I don't know about you, Victoria, but it happens to me all the time. (laughs) you know just pass them all the time so this is this brings me to uh this is oakland no not oakland so in 1881 here in atlanta there is a woman that dies uh she's 22 years old she has two children and she lives on elliott street and so her family wants to bury her at oakland but they end up putting her in the what's called the old thurman burying ground don't know where that is it says near oglethorpe park so that puts it in what's west midtown now um, it's where the exposition was. But they, it's so interesting. They, they like knew she was going to be taken kind of. So they like, they bury her. The husband asks for a guard to be placed. Um, but they couldn't afford a guard, you know. And so, and you and I talked about this earlier, like big cemeteries just don't have that capacity. So what it sounds like they did is they put sticks, like a booby trap. So they like put a little booby trap with sticks so that they could tell it had been disturbed. And then... One or two days later, the family goes back, and it had been disturbed, and so the husband had tied a, a ribbon around her neck, and the ribbon was there. So it, that made me think about that. I mean, I guess if you took that body with that ribbon, you know, 
they would know who it was. But all that this family found was like a pile of dirt with an empty coffin with a pink ribbon in the dirt, which is so sad. <laughs> it is. And it's one of those things that I think that, that, that this was often an assumption and people were very aware of this. Um, you can see that there are different things. Um, probably the, the most famous, I actually sent Victoria a picture of this the other day, was the Mort safe. Yes, which looked like a lobster trap, for lack of <laughs> yes. a better word. It looked like a coffin-shaped lo- lobster trap. And what they would put that over the coffin? Yeah, so over the fresh grave to essentially oh, slow you the, down oh. from trying to dig into the ground. And they're often marketed like falsely as like containing zombies or... To stop vampires from rising. No, it was to stop people from getting in, not for people from getting out. So would they put it on top of the fresh dirt or kind of half in there? I think the way I have seen them is, is it's on top, but like secured into the ground. Okay, that makes, oh, I see what you're saying. So they have to, they'd have to dig that part up to yes. get to the fresh dirt. To get Essentially, that somebody would see that and it would take enough time to dig around it that it would okay. discourage them from going in there. Not necessarily that they couldn't get it out, but they're going to go for somebody else's grave because it's going to deter them just enough. That's so interesting. So this ties into the Atlanta stuff because it all it's all the same story here. Um, like Liz said, we had the Atlanta Medical College, which I think was right before the Civil War, that or 1850-something mm-hmm. that it was started, and it needed bodies. And so 1879 is the first time I saw grave robbing pop up, and it happened in Oakland. Uh, it was a black woman in Oakland in the... Uh, no, I'm sorry. It was a black woman who lost her child. So have you had you come across children being body snatched? I, from what I can see, everybody's fair game. Yeah, it's, which that was extra disturbing, but I guess, I mean, you'd have to do surgery on kids too, so you'd have to... Also, if you consider just infant mortality rates and overall child mortality rates in the 19th century, you're going to have a lot of, a lot of bodies. That makes sense. Okay, so she had her, her child buried at Oakland in the pauper section, um, and she just, like, had a feeling her kid was stolen, so she actually hired men to dig up the grave, and then, yes, when they got there, basically you know, there was nothing in the ground. And so, I mean, it sounds like the city of Atlanta gets very up in arms about it. Um, and J- the Judge Hillier makes a comment where he's like, we must be guarding the cemeteries. But this is where I kind of found it funny is that Oakland Cemetery, which again is the first, well, first municipal cemetery, 1850, mm-hmm. they really did beef up their security. So um, in the 1880s and 1881, there's like two more incidents where, um, and actually a distraught husband, uh, a couple lost their baby, the husband and wife are divorced, which is very uncommon for 1880, right? Very, yes. So I think that they were an officially divorced, but they were living separately. And she actually goes to Oakland, finds the sexton, and says, listen, my husband is going to come get this baby's body. She's like, I'm just telling you. And she was right. And then days later, he actually went and robbed his own child grave. So, I mean, I think mostly this was medical student stuff. Yeah. But I think there's probably, like you said, tying into that Victorian obsession with death stuff. I mean, he, he took the child's body with him and then went to live in Chattanooga and, like, never saw him again. So, and that's when... It sounds like Oakland really beefs up their security because there's a constitution editor from like 1881 that's like, you couldn't pay me to go into Oakland at night um, because I'm going to get shot. So it sounds like armed guards. No, and it's 
It's understandable too, though, because I mean, it was a very profitable trade. I mean, this is a time when if you made $20 per week, you were doing very, very well and you were getting paid $25 per body. Really? So it's incredibly profitable. So I can see that a cemetery that is being regularly robbed, it's worth the extra security and it's definitely worth that because it's going to make you more attractive to people. To so want to yeah. be buried there. Absolutely. That makes sense. That's so interesting. There was also, um, in the 1880s, here in 1880 exactly, there was like a back and forth editorials with basically one of the one of the physicians is like, hey, listen, you know, grave robbing is terrible, but there is no legal way. Kind of like you were saying, there's no legal path for medical colleges to get a act an accurate supply of bodies that we need to do our work. And so if we can't advance medicine. So a lot of doctors were saying, if you want us to be better surgeons or better doctors, if you want the U.S. to be on top, you know, like we need to do this. And this is something that like it goes back to the very core. It w- I was really interested when I did the research for this, that in 1830, they actually ordered a special report on this to the House of Representatives. The so the, US. The US House of Representatives. Wow. And people, again, came at it from both sides. And um, they cite, you know, France as being an example where they had already kind of given this type of access to bodies so that they could do that. Um, they weren't quite really ready for it here. Um, but one person said, quote, who would not prefer were his own feelings the only ones concerned to be useful even after death to his survivors rather than to fester and decay, to feed the numerous worms and undergo the slow and disgusting process of chemical decomposition. Oh, so beautiful. It was it was it was a great quote. But you know what you know what changes a lot of this, and this is kind of surprising in Atlanta that it doesn't happen right away is the Civil War is what changes this. It changes federal attitudes towards this because the majority of men who died in the Civil War did not die from violence. They died from disease. And people saw that disease was preventable. And they understood that if we understand pathology, if we understand the origin of disease, we can prevent it. So I think that that really changed people's attitudes where, you know, they're seeing, you know, not that their loved one died from a bullet, but that they died from typhoid or cholera or things like that. And if we can use bodies to better understand disease, we can prevent it. That makes total sense. So that made people be more on board with donating their bodies or, or other people's bodies. <laughs> other people's bodies, yeah. I, <laughs> I think, I think it's, a, it's, a slow, it's a slow transition, but I think that you really can't overstate the impact of the Civil War on pe- changing people's attitudes. That's really interesting. So there's one more, there's one really good story indicator I want to cover before we kind of talk about the laws changing. So this is January of 1886. And and this is actually maybe a question, and I don't know if this is an actual thing. Is it would were generally the sextons of cemeteries in the South black men? Was that common? That's pretty fairly common, yeah. And then why was that? Just like I mean, almost the same way that the railroad was always rebuilt by black men after the war. Was there a thing or that just, it just was circum happenstance? I think a lot of it has to do with it being a not terribly desirable job. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and it depends because I know that, um, for example, at Oakland, 
if you do an analysis of the people who were working there, a lot of it had to do with geography. And a lot of it was new Irish immigrants, and it was people who lived in places like Cabbage Town that could walk to the cemetery. And so a lot of it had to do with the neighborhood. But I think that in general, it was an attractive job probably for somebody who was a newly freed slave. That's okay. That makes sense. So this is so this is Decatur Cemetery. But what happened was there was a black name. His name was Israel Sanford. Um, he worked at the Atlanta Cottonseed Oil Mill, which I haven't figured out. I haven't looked that up to know where it was. But he got crushed between two rail cars at the West Point Depot. Um, so he dies in a kind of a tragic death. But he is indigent. I guess he has no family to pay for his burial. Um, they sent him to Decatur Decatur Cemetery, and the sexton there is uh joe smith so joe smith is a sexton indicator he he goes to bury israel and he tells um he tells the mayor of decatur or something where he was like hey can you be at this funeral like i just i just want you there as a witness and the mayor is like okay i mean that's kind of strange why he's like oh you know he has no family or anything i just want you to just make sure he goes in the ground and so apparently this triggers these like investigative questions so the mayor is like leaves there and he thinks about it he's like why would the sexton want me to watch this this is so strange and it turns out joe was trying to have a an alibi <laughs> so <laughs> joe, i know joe was um contracting with a guy named George Vaughn. So George Vaughn is the janitor at the Atlanta Medical College. So the Atlanta Medical College was right across from Grady, the the current Grady, it was across the street. And he was a janitor there. He made a deal with the Sexton and Decatur to get bodies for the medical students. So not too soon after Mr. Sanford is dug up and this kind of triggers this like, oh my gosh, what about the people we just buried? So I guess there was a guy named Simon Reed. Um, He was an old man, an old black man that had just been buried in God's Acre. They kind of, they dig him up, he's gone. So it's like public outcry in Decatur, the mayor, the councilman, um, everybody's freaking out. Now, interestingly enough, they hire a group of black men to then dig up the graves to check. You know, so it's like they then hire a group of black men to go. They find Simon is gone. They check. So then they pick two neighboring graves of, again, black paupers. One is gone and one is there. So they stop. They decide to move to a recently buried white lady um, to check that. Now, this is weird where they get down to her grave and I guess they put planks on top and the mayor goes, hold I was here for her funeral and those look exactly the way they did. So they didn't open the coffin. So it was anyway, so they kind of determined, okay, we've, we're only missing three or four poor people. I guess it's fine, but I don't know. Everybody, so everybody's upset. Um, there's a whole story about how the black residents of Decatur are angry at Smith. They plead guilty. Now they thought, they very much thought that the Sexton was kind of the innocent party. And then this George Vaughn, the janitor was like, you know, the evil conspirator. Cause he gets like a thousand dollar fine. But this is where it gets really interesting. So Smith, who's the Sexton goes to jail. He gets consumption. So he is sick in jail. Um, he gets out of jail. He moves to Atlanta. His health issues get worse, and he just knows he's going to die. This is a year and a half later. And so he decides he wants his body to go to the medical college. <laughs> he wants to donate his body to the place he was supplying bodies. Um, so he dies in 1887, 
and he has no money for a burial. DeKalb will not take his body. And the college decides his body's not acceptable. So, which you kind of mentioned before, I think they wanted specific things. And so sometimes they're like, I guess we have too many of yours. So long story short, college didn't need it, but they felt so guilty. They paid for his burial. So he's at Westview. Really? Yes. And I have, that's great. I know I have not gotten to the level of trying to figure it out. I mean, maybe he's in, in the rest, no, not rest Haven, or maybe he's in the part of Westview that we can't, you know, can't see right now, but I am on a mission to find him because the Atlanta Medical College felt so guilty about this whole thing that they paid for his Westview burial. No, and if I had to guess why they refused his body, it's because he had consumption. Oh, that makes sense. Why? They just didn't want to deal with the disease? or I mean, consumption... Which is tuber- tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, and, <laughs> the Victorian yeah. names for disease. So <laughs> t- until the advent of you know, really solid antibiotics. I mean, you can't overstate how many people died of consumption. It was something that people lived in absolute terror of. So I can see 100% if you had somebody coming from a tuberculosis sanatorium or if you had somebody who was known to have an active infection that they would turn that body down. Even as a dead body, you could, oh, that's so interesting. Okay. Yeah, no, there was a lot of fear. Um, If you're really curious, um, my Halloween episode from last year was actually about this and about the link between consumption and vampirism. So uh, you can always go back and listen to that. Um, But yeah, no, it it definitely, I mean, consumption was a very real, real fear. And often the problem was that was why it raced through families because they didn't understand germ theory. Germ Uh. theory was still kind of in its infancy. But I, I wonder if when he asked the mayor to be there, he knew because the man had been crushed between the train cars that that was such a distinctive injury that they would be able to identify the body when it went to the college. Oh. Do you think maybe that's why? I don't know. I mean, from the way, of course, when you read the newspaper, it's written by a white person, you know. So there was some hard things to read, especially the way they describe this. Um but I don't know. They, they made him sound guilty. as You know, they wrote it in a way where it was like, this was so he could have an alibi. And then, you know, in the dark of night. <laughs> so what it sounds like is they sent out like two detectives to, to spy on them. And there they saw Vaughn and Smith, you know, creeping out of the shadows to dig up this newly buried body. And, and that started the whole chain of events. But so what's interesting is that like year before he dies, the Atlanta Medical college puts out like a a report and we talked about these reports where that's where i learned that apparently bodies are robbed here and shipped out to other colleges they were just to send bodies across state lines and they talked about this i think to say you know you should really talk to your lawmaker to give us some provisions for schools and you said is it 1887 that this becomes a law okay so let's talk about that because i think this is what happened in georgia at that same time no and it's pretty sweet it's all around this i mean i've seen it happen later in certain other states but anywhere between 1885 and 1900 for the most part, the laws start to change. And so, like I said, the Civil War is a huge influence on this, but it it does take some time for people to adjust to this and for people to put these things in place. Generally, the entire concept of body snatching, it's done by the turn of the century. And it's because the laws that are put in place allow for essentially all unclaimed bodies, bodies which otherwise don't... A lot of the bodies that were buried that came from the poorhouse or the almshouse and things like that prior to that had not been accessible 
they were still robbed, but they were not accessible legally. And this just made things a lot more accessible legally. Okay. Um, and then eventually attitudes changed to the point that we start to see today people purposely donate their bodies yeah, to that's science. that's so interesting. So the, so the law in 1887, I guess there was a House bill in Georgia that created like a state board. So there's a state board of officers that all the medical colleges in Georgia, however, you know, the two or three that we had, had a representative. The colleges are in charge of preserving the bodies which in, you said put in alcohol. At this point, they're still putting in alcohol. So at this point, yeah, because the fact is, like, once you embalm a body, you're you can't really dissect it. Oh, so okay. a lot of it has to do with cold storage and things like that. Um, embalming really comes into its own during the Civil War. Um, Abraham Lincoln was embalmed, and that's what popularized the idea. Oh, um, Lincoln being embalmed is what popularized very much oh. so because you know his funeral train travels all the way out to Illinois, and it has multiple stops along the way. So the the change in sort of the politics of the body, you can really give Abraham Lincoln that. And his embalming was so impressive that, um, you know, when they were doing renovations to Lincoln's grave in, you know, in the 20th century, they reopened it and they said they, he was still preserved oh, enough that you could recognize him. Really? Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so they, embalming has progressed, but if you want, obviously a big part of embalming is that you, Drain the bodily fluids. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. what you're saying. So, it's so they, they can't fully embalm the bodies, but yeah, alcohol is the main preservative at this point. Okay, and so at this point, at least in Georgia, grave robbing becomes a felony when it was previously a misdemeanor. But then what I found kind of strange is like in 1941, the governor of Georgia makes like robbing graves punishable by death or something. So I mean, was there just... The fear totally went away. I mean, there's just no grave robbing, you're saying, after 1900? Or... I'm not saying that it never happened. I just think it becomes far less common because the laws do start to shift in the other direction. Um, I think that you certainly, depending on where you are, keep in mind that we, in this episode, have talked almost exclusively about cities. And attitudes in cities oh, are yeah. very different than, say, in a rural town in Georgia. Um, but also, that's where the majority of your medical colleges are. In, so okay, I in see cities, what you're saying. yeah. Um, I think that maybe at that point they're shifting attitudes just based on the fact that it becomes more socially unacceptable. Where it's saying it's like, well, if you were to do this, there's a reason that you're doing this, and you must Got be it. depraved. You're not doing it for medical reasons because you would get it from a legitimate source. Which I think that's what I thought about grave robbing before doing this. You know, you just I thought it was some crazed whack job digging up a body to I don't know perform some but no I mean not that it made it better but there was a reason it was to supply medical schools with with bodies I mean it was a practical reason for it I guess oh absolutely and I mean and if you look at you know I mean we tend to think of medicine as being so advanced today but we forget that you know the first open heart surgery didn't happen until world war ii that is crazy and I mean, all of that research, all of the surgical advancements, they never would have been possible without this type of pathological research, without understanding how things worked. That's really interesting. I like it. We're watching The Spanish Princess, which is 1500s, you know, and they get, I don't know, they got some random, probably a cold. And my husband's like, give them amoxicillin, you know? <laughs> I mean, joking, but we're like... Well, yeah, and it, it's just so easy to forget that, you know, so much of what we have today, it, it's really quite contemporary. All of this stuff is things that have happened, you know, probably within three or four generations. Um, and, 
you know, we think about things that, you know, we survive quite easily that probably would have killed people. Yeah. Like you said, the infant mortality rate's really sad, especially when, I don't know if I talked to you, but when you go to Savannah and you see the, especially in, um, what's the big, what's the big cemetery? Bonaventure? Yeah, Bonaventure. Um, the family plots just have unnamed infant, you know, mm-hmm. it's like unnamed infant, like four unnamed infants. And then at least the guy there said, sometimes they, they wouldn't give you a name until you reached a year old because there was such a high chance you weren't going to make it. Very much so. And, uh... Even without getting too political about it, I mean, if you want to see the influence of vaccines, look at infant mortality even from the 1940s and earlier in any cemetery versus the 1950s and later. Oh, what polio vaccine that? The polio vaccine. Just essentially the the 50s is when all of the vaccines start to come in. Um, Obviously, smallpox vaccine before that. Smallpox arguably is the biggest. Smallpox is the biggest killer throughout history. But look at infant mortality rates because... It's one of those things that you can start to see probably like 53, 54, 55, when it became far more common to get your children vaccinated, you just see the numbers drop. Wow, that's interesting. And that's one of the things I love about cemeteries is that, you know, without going through and digging through ledgers and having to analyze all of that data, you can just walk around and you can literally see the demographics. I agree. I mean, for me, a cemetery is a place to talk about broader things in one place like you said you know you you talk about different people but you also talk about even just say Oakland and Atlanta because it's so popular right different neighborhoods in there different types of people and then just looking at the dates you know oh he was he was a child oh she was only 20 I don't know to me it sparks conversation I, I started off I spent a lot of years of my career as a teacher and one school I worked at that that was actually one of the field trips that they took the kids on there was a cemetery within walking distance and every discipline so you know English math science all of them had an activity that you could do in the cemetery and you know math they did you know you had to figure out what the average death age was and you had to collect data and it's one of those things that think about, I mean, we've talked about public health, we've talked about racial inequality, we have talked about legal issues. All of those yeah. things are legislation. I mean, yeah. we have. Co- you're right. You're totally right. And uh, that's that's one of the things that I think that people don't tend to think about when they think about cemeteries. Um, but it's important history. This in particular, because every single person listening to this has benefited from gross anatomy. Yeah. Has benefited. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> I know gross is sort of yeah. It, that's what they call it. Gross anatomy study, studying cadavers. But we we all have benefited from the understanding of pathology that came out of that so it's often important to remember that things aren't always pretty in our ha- our history I but like this. It's, so you're necessary. saying we we should be thanking the early grave robbers the <laughs> ghouls for, on halloween uh, just yeah i get what you're saying i mean this was all essentially brought us to the the place we are today with medical history very much so i like this all right is there anything else we're missing you want to we can add in i can no, I feel like we did everything. I, right? I think I think that we covered it pretty well. I, like um, it. I think it's important history to remember. I, I odds are it's every city in the United States experienced this at some point. Um, oh, I heard. Yeah, the, when I was researching this, I mean, something happened. And I think it was like Illinois or something. Big grave robbing story. So, f- at least by a quick glance, it looked that every U.S. city dealt with some kind of grave robbing drama story. And, and that's exactly why. I think I think it's one of those things. It's great to find it here in Atlanta. I think you could, but no, regardless of where you are, if you're listening to this somewhere else, odds are you probably have a good story too. Um, 
I think my favorite grave robbing story I read, I did an uh, episode on Washington Square Park in New York a couple yes, weeks ago. that was the best. And as somebody who grew up in New York and then went and I lived in the city for a while, I did not know there was people under there. So that blew my mind. My favorite too is the, the grave, the trains, the cemetery train, or even Lincoln just now. I did not know he was brought on a funeral train. So... I love Liz's podcast for this reason. <laughs> so I tell people all the time, do not, if you are not a cemetery lover, like, you know, these, me and then the other weird people I found, no. Um, just the history nerds out there and there's a lot of cemetery or taphophiles they're called. Even if you're not, this, you're going to learn so much about all kinds of history, but through the lens of a cemetery. Yeah, no, and uh, you can certainly, I, I also have a lot of people who, who get interested in certain topics, and so if you are interested in American history, you know, I have covered Lincoln, I have covered Washington, I have covered a lot of individual people. If you are interested in military history, I did a whole month on the history of military cemeteries. There's a lot of fun topics in there. Um, I try not to take myself too seriously. <laughs> um, and I have been trying to do a, a few fun and somewhat spooky things throughout October. Yeah, we're, you know, we're not total drags. We just, we like the academic angle, but we have sense of humor. <laughs> and and hopefully, you know, we promised at the beginning of this episode that these are all true stories. They're pretty good. Yeah. You have to admit. I agree. I mean, now when I, when I go to Oakland or Decatur Cemetery, like I have these extra layers of stories. And Absolutely. Like, and like you said, it was so much better than oh, they say this woman in white stands at the window. You know, like, I, I so much more like the story of these two guys plotting to dig up the people in the dark of night to sh shove them across town in the Atlanta Medical College. I'm laughing. I feel terrible. Okay, it's not funny. Um, oh, uh, so tell people, I just want to make sure everybody can find your podcast, Tomb with a View. Tomb with a View, and I am on all major platforms, uh, Little turquoise arc icon, you can see it. It's a lady. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fancy. It's a fancy cemetery <laughs> lady. Um, you can find me uh, on social media. I am on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, Tomb of the View podcast on Facebook, and Tomb Period with Period A Period View on Instagram. Um, Try to post a lot of additional content that goes along with that. Some some good visual stuff. Yeah, and it's all like she said, it's all over the U.S. So you get a lot of good stuff, and and it makes me want to go visit places. I now have a short list of cemeteries to visit in other states thanks to you. Um, all right, I'm gonna put all her information in the show notes for you guys, um, and thank. That's it. Hopefully, you enjoyed that. Uh, I know I certainly did. It was a lot of fun to record it. It was a lot of fun to collaborate and see a real person again. I don't get a lot of that these days. Uh, but most of all, I know that sometimes I can have a very strict view about the more creepy, crawly, ghouly stuff. But this is one of those topics, especially for Halloween, that it's really irresistible because it's a case where the real history is just as fascinating as any ghost story that people can come up with. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Thank you to all the listeners on both Tomb of the View and Archive Atlanta. But for now, trick or treat.